a group of men who decided to go skydiving. So they all gathered into their cars and they drove down to their nearest facility. They got out, they walked in, they signed all the waivers that I'm sure you have to sign. They got suited up, they put on their parachutes, and then they thought, you know, skydiving is sort of a special occasion. Not everyone does this. This is really a one-in-a-lifetime thing. So they decide, I think we should hire a cameraman. They want someone there to capture the moment, to record the experience. That way, when they grow old, they'll always be able to look back and watch the video and remember the time that they went skydiving. So the men are already ready. They find this cameraman that is employed at this facility. He quickly grabs his gear, he grabs his camera, he grabs his lenses, he grabs all the things he would need to film the event, and they all load into the plane. So they're flying in the plane. Once they finally reach altitude, it's time to jump. So the first man jumps out, he free falls toward the earth. The second man jumps out, free falls toward the earth. The third man, the fourth man, and so on. And all the while, the cameraman is there, intently capturing every moment, capturing every detail. And finally, after all the men have jumped out, they all pull their parachutes and begin uh, to parachute towards the earth. So it's about time now for this cameraman to jump out and to follow and to continue to record. So he jumps out of the plane. He's free-falling, still continuously and diligently recording every moment. And once it's his turn to pull his ripcord, he reaches for it, and it's not there. So he thinks, okay, maybe, maybe it's on the other side. I don't know. So he reaches for his other shoulder. It's not there. You see, the man was so focused on preparing his film equipment that he forgot to suit up for the jump. He never put the parachute on. He was so focused on his duties that he did not prepare himself for what he knew was coming. Now think about that in spiritual terms. Are we so occupied with our duties that we forget to prepare ourselves for what we know is coming? Have we forgot to strap on our parachute? Now this morning, we're doing something a little different. You might have noticed that I've got a timer. Just a few seconds ago, before I climbed up these steps to stand before you, I asked my wife if she would set this timer for an amount of time that I don't know. I don't know how many minutes are left on this timer. Now, I do know that it only goes up to an hour, so it's less than an hour, and it hasn't gone up yet, so it's probably more than three minutes. But aside from that, I don't know when this timer is going to go off. But this morning, when this timer goes off, that's going to be the end of my lesson. It doesn't matter if I'm in the middle of a point. It doesn't matter if I'm in the middle of a sentence. It doesn't matter if I'm in the middle of a word. When this timer goes off, this sermon is over. Now again, think about that spiritually. Now it might be a poor analogy, but I think it works. God has set his eternal timer. And whether or not we realize it, that timer, just like this one, is slowly ticking down to zero. And friends, whether we're ready or not, whether we've got that parachute on or not, it's going to happen. One day, that timer is going to strike zero. So this morning, I want us to further explore the idea of the second coming. But before we get into that, I've got to do one very important thing. 
since I don't know when this timer is going to go off, I don't know when this lesson is supposed to end. And since I don't know when this lesson is supposed to end, I don't know when to offer the invitation. So I'm going to go ahead and do that first while we still have time. We've got to offer the invitation. We've got to know what we can do to get ready. We've got to know how we can put that parachute on. So friends, whenever this timer does go off, five minutes, ten minutes, uh, 41 minutes, I don't know. When that happens, and when this sermon is over, if you need to become a Christian, please respond to the invitation. In order to become a Christian, we must be obedient to the gospel. And in being obedient to the gospel, we've got to become Christians. In Acts chapter 2 and verse number 38, Peter summed up well what it takes to become a Christian. He said, you must repent of your sins, that is, change your lifestyle, change your way of living and thinking, and then you must be baptized. You must go down into the water being fully immersed to have your sins washed away. So again, whenever this timer does go off, if you need to do that, or if you need help as a Christian, please do that. But not yet. First, we've got to get in to the sermon. So the second coming. What are some things that we know about the second coming? Well, firstly, we know that the timing, much like this morning, of the second coming is a mystery. Nobody knows when the second coming will occur. No one knows when God's timer will go off. If we turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 24, we see Jesus talking about this event, this second coming. And I want us to notice what he says about that event. Matthew chapter 24, and if we begin reading in verse number 36, we'll get the information from the man himself, if you will. The man who's going to come back to us says this about his coming. Verse 36, he says, But of that day and that hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also we will be come, or so, excuse me, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark. And did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Watch, therefore, for you do not know what hour the Son of Man is coming. Now, I'm afraid that many in the world today have not read this passage. You see, it seems just about... Every year or every other year, some religious leader will get on the news or he'll write in the newspaper, he'll post on social media, I figured out when Jesus is coming back. I did the math, I ran the numbers, I figured out the Da Vinci Code, whatever it is, I know when he's going to come back. And it's going to be, uh, what was it, 2012 was supposed to be the end of the world, it's going to be 2012. Well, I forgot to carry the one, it's actually going to be 2013. Well, no, it's, I'm at 14. It was a typo on the paper. It was 14. And so on and so forth. But friends, we're still here. The point is, no one knows. Jesus says, no one knows except my Father who is in heaven. But I also think it's interesting that he uses the analogy or compares this event to the flood. Think about the flood. Who knew when the flood was going to happen? Noah. Now, Noah and his family knew that it was going to happen, but they didn't know when. 
But friends, when it happened, it was too late. Once the water started coming down, that was it. It was happening. And Jesus says the same is true with the second coming. Once it happens, that's it. You're going to be living your life. You're doing the normal things you would do. But when this happens, that's it. It's over. But no one knows when it's going to happen. Jesus says that. Now, if we turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians, we'll see the inspired Apostle Paul echo these very same words. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we'll read the first five verses of this chapter and we'll see what Paul says about this second coming. Paul says, But concerning the times and seasons, brethren... You have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them, as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night, nor of darkness. Verse 6, Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. Jesus says, No one knows when I'm coming back. Paul says, Jesus will come back like a thief in the night. Have you ever been watching the news and heard a story about somebody calling ahead before they rob a place? Hey, Mr. Johns, this is uh, Bill down the street. Just wanted to give you a heads up. I'm probably going to stop by around midnight tonight, steal all your valuables, and then I'll be out of your hair. Has that ever happened before? No, at the very least, maybe they'll knock to see if anyone's home. But after that, there's no warning. Thieves don't warn people beforehand. Now, Jesus is not a thief, but he's saying that when I come, there's going to be no warning beforehand. I'm just going to show up. So you must be ready. In verse 6, Paul says, You're not in darkness that you should worry about. I mean, you don't have to worry if you're a Christian, but watch so that you're ready. Make sure that you're ready when this thing finally does happen. So firstly, no one knows when the coming, the second coming of Jesus will be. Now, the second thing I want us to explore this morning is that the second coming is final. Now, we almost talked about that back in Matthew 24 when we read what Jesus said about uh, the second coming being the end and, and no one will be left because it is final. Now, if we turn back to Matthew chapter 12, we'll see again what Jesus said about the second coming. I think it's always great to get it right from the source, right? I mean, Jesus is the one coming back. I think it's important that we see what Jesus says about this. So Matthew chapter 13, that is, I'm sorry, one page over. Matthew 13, and this time we'll begin reading in verse number 24. Now, here in Matthew 13, Jesus is about to teach the parable of the wheat and the tares. Now, before we get into this, I think it's important to define our terms. I'm sure we all know, but again, it's important that we're all on the same page. We all know what wheat is, but tares sometimes aren't explained. Sometimes we read this passage and just assume that everyone knows what a tare is. And again, I'm sure we all have a good idea. But basically, a tare is like a weed. It's something that 
sort of looks like wheat, as it grows up, you almost can't tell the difference sometimes, but it is a wheat. It's something that you don't want. You can't eat it. It's not good for anything. It's basically a weed. Okay, now that we know exactly what we're talking about, now that we're all on the same page, we'll go ahead and read the parable of the wheat and the tares in Matthew chapter 13. So beginning in verse 24, Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servant of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, First, gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them but gather the wheat into my barn. Now, in Bible class this morning, we talked about why does God allow evil people to exist? Well, this is a passage that answers that question. Jesus says, allow the good and the bad to grow up together. In other words, let them live with one another for a while. But he says, once the harvest is here, once that second coming happens, that's when the judgments will be handed out. That's when distinctions will be made. Now, I want us to consider something from this parable, uh, an inference that I think we cannot ignore, and that is if the wheat has been taken, and if the tares have been taken, who does that leave? Jesus says the wheat represent the good people, the obedient, the Christians, those who have been faithful to God. The tares, of course, represent the opposite, those who have been disobedient, those who have never become Christians, those who have never obeyed. But if those two groups of people are taken, and by the way, those two groups of people represent everyone that's ever lived, everyone that's ever lived falls either into the group of obedience or disobedience. But if those two groups are taken, then who does that leave? Nobody, right? I mean, if the good people are taken, the bad people are taken, who's left? Now, furthermore, to prove this, that the second coming is final, I want us to turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. Now, after we read this, hopefully we'll see clearly that after the second coming, this world, this life, and everything that we know in it will come to an end. 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse number 10, we'll see what Peter says about the second coming. Peter says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. So again, the same language. The Lord will come unexpectedly, unannounced. He goes on to say, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So firstly, Jesus says, at the time of harvest, 
The good and the bad will be taken. Everyone will be taken. Now Peter says, on the day of the Lord, when Jesus comes back, the earth and all of its elements and everything that makes up our atmosphere, Peter says, the heavens will be dissolved as well. All these things that we can look around us and see will one day be dissolved. One day they will be destroyed. Now friends, if there's no people left on earth, if there is no earth itself, how could anyone ever survive or escape the coming of the Lord? If you've got no people and no place for people to live, simply there could be no survivors. No one can escape this. Yet, when we look out into the religious world, unfortunately, we see many people uh, who try to say or try to prove even that, well, Jesus is going to come once. He's going to take the good people, he'll leave the bad people, and the people that are left, well, they'll just get a second chance. Friends, how can that be if there's no earth left when Jesus comes? Where will these people that are left stay? I mean, I'm sure we've all either read or seen the book or the movie that is about the second coming. Uh, The one where supposedly all these awful events will happen and a group of people will be left. As the book is entitled, uh, they will be left behind. Friends, what are they going to be left on? Where will they dwell? Because Peter says the earth and everything that makes up the earth will be destroyed. Friends, the second coming is final. There are no second chances after it. Just like the cameraman who jumped from that plane with no parachute, he was just out of luck. He forgot. He wasn't prepared for what he knew was coming. And unfortunately, we can do the very same thing. We can be unprepared for what we know is coming. Because once it does come, that's final. The second coming is final. Now thirdly, and this is a little different, but it's equally true, the coming of Christ will be joyous. The coming of Christ will be a joyous occasion. Now as we read this morning, uh, Brother LJ read it to us, Peter, Paul says, that we ought to comfort one another with this idea of the second coming. Let's turn back there to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. 